You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. We have a special guest in the studio today, Dr. Franz, and he's one of our local MFT, marriage and family therapists, here in the Valley. And we're going to be talking to Dr. Franz about what he's seen in his practice and what he's been doing for the last 20-something years as he's been practicing here in Las Vegas. So let's get started. I have Dr. Franz in the studio, and he's been here in the Valley for a long time. Dr. Franz, I'm going to let you tell us how long you've been in Vegas. I've been here uh, in Las Vegas uh, 30 years this last October. 30 years. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. So we're excited to, to take that 30 years that you've been. Now, how long have you been a marriage and family licensed therapist? Well, I've been practicing as a therapist for about 35 years. Okay, so about as much as the length of time you've been in the Valley, you've been practicing that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So we're going to have fun. We're going to pick your brain, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to find out what's going on in Las Vegas. So tell us a little bit more about your education so the listeners know who you are and what you've been doing here in the Valley. Ooh, okay. Uh, I don't want to go too far back with education. I'm <laughs> going to burn up a lot of valuable airtime with that. Uh, suffice it to say, what, what got me started, I, I had a bachelor's in theater and speech, and um, I, I got to be so successful in the world of showbiz that I thought maybe I needed to go back to school and get something that, that would take me to humbler roots. Uh <laughs> What, what led to that, I, I was sitting out on a case one night as a private investigator, and, uh, oh, God, I'd had to use a bathroom facility for a couple hours. I was eating a cold, clammy Whopper, waiting for him to come out of an apartment with her so I could take some pictures and go home. And I thought, boy, this sure is fun now. Uh, do I want to be doing this when I'm 59 years old? <laughs> the next day, I went over to Governor State University in uh, south suburban Chicago and spoke to the... Uh, the chair of the department about becoming a counselor. Uh, he had one question for me. He said, uh, you have a, a bachelor's in theater and speech. I said, yes, I do. And I thought, here it comes. He said, tell me how that relates to counseling and therapy. And I thought for a moment, and I came up with the only answer I thought I could come up with. I said, it's all communication. And he said, you're right, you're in. Well, that started the ball rolling. Uh, I graduated about two and a half years later with my master's in human relations services. And uh, several years after that, uh, the fall of 1980, I came out here. And part of my reasoning for coming out here was that uh, at the time there was a small private university here in town. And uh, they were granting doctorates in uh, clinical psych. And I came out here, joined up with the rest of my family that had moved out here several years prior, and uh, got into their program, and about two and a half years later, graduated with my Ph.D. in clinical psych. Uh, while I was doing that, I got myself a job here at the Clark County Juvenile Court as a probation officer, 
and uh, worked in a specialized program down there for serious, violent, and felonious first-time <laughs> male offenders. We got the cream of the crop and uh, worked with the court for about five years. Uh, at that point in time, Monta Vista Hospital was just opening, and uh, my former supervisor at the court had gone to Monta Vista. He uh, called me a couple of weeks after he got there and said, hey, I need you over here. So I went over to Monta Vista, supervised the therapy on the adolescent unit for wow. a year, and then I ran the adult unit. Uh, finally, I just got to a point in my life where I realized that I was not going professionally where I had intended to start out on. I'd always had a part-time private practice, and uh, long about sometime in 1987, I think I made the plunge into full-time private practice. Now, now those that don't understand private practice versus a job, it's, it's not easy to get into private practice as a therapist. Oh, it's very easy to get in. Okay. Getting clients, getting customers, <laughs> that's another story. Anybody can open an office and sit there and read and watch TV and wait <laughs> or uh, do whatever you can do to get out in the community and market and make people aware that you're, uh, you're out there and you're willing to, to give services, supply services to the public, and they start. Uh, the, the one thing that one of my professors told me back at uh, Governor State was with regards to private practice, uh, there, there's a number of ways to go about setting it up, but the best way is to just take your time and build it by word of mouth. And I'm, I'm happy to say at this point in time, I've got a, a word of mouth practice out there that spanned over 30 years in Las Vegas, and uh, it's working very well for me. So for the 30 years you've been practicing in the Las Vegas area, it sounds like you've been in juvie, uh, the juvenile court system, helping mm -hmm. those youth. And now you're in private practice, helping families and, and private individuals. Private individuals, and families, a lot of kids. A lot of kids. Yeah. What are you seeing out there that's, uh, that's plaguing the family here in the Valley? What's... I think the biggest thing that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that comes through my door in, in, in various incarnations is uh, my kid just won't behave the way I want him to <laughs> or her. Let's not be gender specific here. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's you know, how do you respond to that? I'm curious. Um, the, the, most of the therapy that I uh -huh. do with children, the, the child is certainly welcome to be there. I don't necessarily consider them essential to be there. After Generally, I like to take a look at a kid to see what I'm dealing with. That, that doesn't take long, but uh, it, it's not long after that, that that the toys come out from behind my chair. Uh, the child amuses himself in whatever way they can when they're in my office, and I sit there with the parents. I see how the child interacts with the parents, how the parents interact with the child. I will model various alternative behaviors to get more out of the child what they want. I'll make suggestions to them. We'll change the child's routine. We'll make the parents' um, responses to the child uh, more consistent. Uh, commands or, or directives from the parents rather than questions. Uh, would you please go upstairs and wash your face? Well, that's a very courteous way of, of making a request, but every time you make a request of somebody, you're, you're giving them the option of saying, no, no. Yeah. I want you to go upstairs and wash your face now. Uh, it's a whole lot harder to say no to that. And, and just a simple grammatical shift, syntactical shift like that, it's amazing the results you can get.
And, and, you know, going back to that whole thing, when they walk into your office and say, my, I just want my child to behave, you, do you find the parents also engaging in arguments and trying to persuade their children and treating them like adults? Or uh, This is another big element. Uh, in, in any family, for, for all of you out there, this is classic textbook, uh, if you have a child, whether it is by birth or a stepchild, it doesn't matter. There is one motivation, one goal of the child's behavior. The only way that they can get any power in their family is to drive a wedge between the parents in a conflict, get one parent or the other to side with them, and then they go to work on the opposing parent. This is where a child can get their, their power in the family. Now, if you hook the parents up and the parents stop arguing, stop bickering, stop disagreeing in front of the child, and the parents provide a unified front to that child, that child has got nowhere to go to work his wares. So he's going to fall into line. So, yeah, arguing among the parents. Now, if the parents have a disagreement, that's fine. We all have disagreements, especially when it comes to parenting. The parents can take that up with one another, but only after the child is out of earshot. Then the parents can work it out. The child is within earshot of the parents. The parents are a unified front in front of that child, and that child will follow both of their directives. Now, have you noticed when you work, we're just going to keep going on this because parenting is a, is a big um, issue that a lot of parents I've helped over the years, they always don't know what direction to go when they get against a wall. And, and you notice when you give them these tweaks of verb or vocabulary to change the way they uh, um, approach their child, they come back six months later or a month later and say, it's not working now. No, they come back next week. Next week, okay. <laughs> so a week later, and they say, it's not working, Dr. Franz, what do we do? Okay, and then we take a little more finite look at what's going on. What, what, what about it did work? What about it didn't work? Um, how, how did the child respond when, when the two of you hooked up? In fact, did the two of you really hook up? Well, we started off together on it, but then... My, my, my spouse began to raise some objections. Ah, is that when it started to fall apart? Amazing how these things happen. Or in, in what creative ways did the child find? And children, you know, I, I tell a lot of the people I work with, as, as children, they have nothing but 16 waking hours a day to figure out ways to manipulate their parents into getting them what they want. We as adults, we have other things to do in our waking hours. We do not have nearly enough time to think about all the ways we're going to counter their next anticipated <laughs> manipulation. So what we may need to do at that juncture is take a look at what the child did and what new curve the child threw the parents. And the odds are, I think, 9 to 1, if not more, 99 to 100, that kid came up with some little creative quirk <laughs> that got one parent or the other to break down and break away from that unity from the second parent. You know, I always say there are many attorneys. They, they're just waiting to pull their little briefcase out and say, well, in exhibit one, Mom, you said this, and they get you riled up. Oh, yeah. And they get you out of your system, and they put— because what, what's interesting, tell me if I'm wrong, Dr. Franz, is that children are like energy. You, if you switch and move your energy as parents, like you're saying, if they get together and band together, mm -hmm. the child has no choice but to follow. 
Yeah. Because they're they're little children, and and that's what a lot of parents forget is that they are children, and their whole job is to follow you as a parent. So if you're chaotic and out of control, you know, I gonna... I, I had an epiphany about okay. that one night. Um, my my parents were divorced. I was living with my father, and I wanted something. I don't remember what it was. It's not relevant, but I wanted something, and my dear loving father let me know on no uncertain terms there was going to be no way I was going to get it. And I was ticked. And the first thing that ran through my head, I was so angry with him, I wanted to beat him up. And I thought, no, I can't do that. He's bigger than I am. He'll just pummel me. (laughs) Then I thought, I could kill him. And I thought, that won't work either because I like need him around here to provide all this stuff for me. So the one thing that I could resort to at that point in time, and I wish I could recover what I said, but I started pushing buttons. Ah. And as soon as his eyes started to bug out of his head and his voice came up and he got that growl and the veins started to stand out in, my, in his neck, I knew He was just as angry at me as I was at him. We were even. Uh I ran down the hall immediately, broke off the confrontation, slammed my door, and sat on my bed feeling (laughs) self-satisfied and powerful. (laughs) And it happens so often. (laughs) And these things happen. But the, the realization in my head was when I wanted to kill him, bedrock was i couldn't do it because i needed him i was wholly and totally dependent on him and this is an obvious conclusion to come to but it's a conclusion that every child must come to they need to be aware of that that they need their parents by the parents bonding together by no more other than the fact that they've bonded together the child will eventually get there yeah, I, I can reject those both of these people. I'll, I'll go up with a chainsaw and cut their head off tonight while they're sleeping. I'll take care of them. Well, what am I going to do next? Who's going to buy the groceries? <laughs> Who's going to get me to school? Who's going to take me to the toy store? Where am I going to get money from? How am I going to eat? I, I, the, the questions are just numerous. And they keep coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's hold that thought. We're going to take a break real quick, okay. Dr. Franz. And- All right, welcome back to the Never Give Up Show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host. We have Dr. Franz in the studio with us today, if you're just tuning in. Um, We're talking about family and parenting um, and the dynamics that take place in there and how the environment does affect us and and everything we do. Now, we just went out, Dr. Franz, we were talking about how to get our children to listen. Now, this is a hot topic in every family, as I've been helping families in 35 years. You've been in the Valley helping them. It's, it's the constant thing that comes up in therapy, correct? Yes. And so we went out. You were telling a story about yeah, your let father. Let me add for just okay. a moment. It's also the constant thing that comes up before the judge's bench at juvenile uh-huh. court. And tell us more about that. Well, it's, it's, it's very simple. The child's misbehaving in the home. He's beyond the control of the parents. He's misbehaving in the community. A cop finally picks him up. He gets charges put against him. He gets hauled before the court. And the, then the court starts looking at how to make him behave. Now, you, you're going from the experience when you were in juvenile court. This is what you well, saw. Well, yeah, and, and beyond. Uh, and more recently, the... I've, I've become a specially appointed That's right. co-parenting facilitator for the court. 
Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I've, I've got something working right now uh, just in the beginning phases with, with truant children. Truant is in to school? or As in kids that don't go to school. Oh. Yeah. So appointed, um, what was it again, appointed? Uh, co-parenting facilitator. And what you do is you're an, uh, kind of an advocate between the court and the parents? Uh, I, I become uh, an advocate for the child mm-hmm. between divorcing or divorced oh, parents. wow. We get the kid out of the middle, okay. and at least theoretically, I, I teach these parents how to responsibly co-parent in spite of their divorce. Wow. Okay, so, so the, and how's that been going as far as um, helping them cope with that? Because that's a big issue that a lot of kids have. I've noticed when I worked with uh, juvenile kids or in, in between divorces, is that a, a big strain on the kids? Oh, are... uh, well, first of all, as I was talking before the break, This is an exaggerated example of the gap between the parents, the wedge between the parents that the child is looking to drive. When when parents are divorced, of course, they're alienated from one another most often, far most often. And so what happens is not only do we have a philosophical gap in parenting, but now we have a physical gap in parenting where the child is going back and forth between two homes. And you can bet he is playing both sides of that, that divorce dyad to the max. So he, he learns how to use that. Going back to that whole mini attorney, he's, he's figuring out how to play it against the, both parents. Right, play one parent against yeah. the other. Yeah. So that's a huge thing. Is it, Maybe we can go a little deeper as we're in it. Is co-parenting with a split home if there's a divorced home and parents are having arguments because they're not getting along um what do you do to help the child kind of find a homeostasis i don't know if that's the right word it's it's a simple matter much simpler in 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 philosophy than in practice but it's basically a simple matter of getting those two parents back on the same parenting page I don't care if they're divorced. I don't care if they hate each other. I don't care if they've got a thousand and one issues related to their divorce that they're still working. They're still both parents of that child. And as long as they're parents of that child, they must come together over that child and function as a unit. So even though we tell them that, the adults tend to not get it sometimes because they're so caught up in their emotions. They're their... so caught up in their own stuff. They're so caught up in their own anger. They, they've got to get even. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, a tremendous sense often of competitiveness between the two parents. Each one is competing to be the better parent. Uh, one parent wants to lure the child away uh, from the other parent. Uh, it goes on all the time. Wow. So there's there's a huge dynamic, and that that huge dynamics as far as what what's going on in the home brings us back to the environment. And you know when that parent or that uh, family unit walks in the door and says, "Doctor Franz, I just want you to get my child to listen to me, uh, to do what they want." And we're talking about really it comes down to what the environment is in the home and what you're creating for your child and and helping them walk through that. I I oftentimes tell parents that come in, I say, "Look, you know, you want me to fix your kid." I can sit down on the floor with them, and we can cut out paper dolls, and I can play with Ken and Barbie with them, (laughs) and I can uncover all their subconscious conflicts and develop a tremendous clinical understanding of what's going on for that child. Or we can just move all that aside and go on the assumption that the two of you 
can do a whole lot more with this kid in the six days and 23 hours that you're with that child and you're not in my office. So let's go to work on you guys and let's let the kid play with Lego, shall we? You know, and I have a funny mm. uh, paradox that I always say is that you're kind of like the dog whisperer in a sense. You know, you ever watch Caesar? Yeah. It's it's instead of him attacking the dog at first, and I know this is a funny <laughs> analogy, but it kind of makes sense. He doesn't spend time with the dog first. He goes to the owners. Yes. And he says, well, we got to change your behaviors before we can get that dog to listen. And in a weird roundabout way, and he has a book for humans too, yep. uh, you have to work with the parents. And a lot of parents don't understand that. No, fix my kid. It's their problem, yeah. not mine. Yeah. And so is, is that a lot what you're seeing is they think it's all the kid's problem if it's a teenage kid to a young kid it doesn't matter what age well that yeah that now that you know they, they'd prefer to look at it that way because it absolves them of any responsibility yeah. of actually having to make i i and i'm talking about a bloody fingernail effort to change <laughs> their behavior it's and, it's going to be tough you know and, and that's what's hard when you approach <clears throat> the parent and say well we're going to change you first they just kind of stare at you like a a deer in the headlights, in a sense. You know, at, at that point in mm -hmm. time, I, I have found, and I'm not sure what I'm doing. I haven't thought about it much. But by the time I pull that on them, I, I guess I've given enough philosophical background on, on who I want to work with and, and what I intend to do that I rarely have any, any register of shock or surprise on the parent's face. By, by the time I pull that, it seems like they're, they're usually ready to go with it. Oh, so and it doesn't take long. Well, and that and that's that's a good uh, reward when they finally get to that point. Well, I, it, it's rewarding, and then now I know we can do some work, and we can get somewhere, and we can finally get everybody more of what they want, including the child. So, Dr. Franz, in, in your practice, do you have any good stories you can share along with? Um, it, it can be years ago or whatever to help the parents understand that or visualize what we're talking about as far as getting the kid to listen, or any cases that you had some good outcomes. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, where do I start? <laughs> yeah, a memory. That's where I start. I know my wife is at home listening to this right now laughing because she knows what my memory is like. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's just talk some more, and I'll, I'll try okay, to we'll see what to comes out. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about parenting, and I think parenting is a skill that a lot of parents forget that it, they don't come with manuals. They don't come with understanding, and, and a lot of times we feel that they're an obligation I've seen parents when they come into when I was doing um, parenting coaching and stuff, they would come in thinking that I should just figure this out. Why isn't it working? Everything I've done that my mom and dad taught me is not mm -hmm. working. Well, how did it work for you? Now, here's a story for <laughs> oh, you. That, there it is. <laughs> how families pass on pathology okay. for generations. This is good. And because it's been passed on for so many generations, it becomes a norm. No one ever questions it. No one ever thinks about it as, as, as being pathological or deviant. Mom comes in one night with stepdad. They left kid at home. Mom says to me, stepdad is going to tell you a story. Um, in, in case the audience hasn't picked it up a lot. I, I need to be cued on this from time to time. Mom said, I want you to keep your mouth shut while dad tells the story. I consented to do that. Mom said, okay, here's dad's story. And dad told me how great granddad 
had taken the bottom half of one of these old crank telephones that they had in the late 1800s, early 1900s, had a little crank on the bottom of it so you could ring up the operator. He had taken the bottom half of that, and the bottom half amounted to essentially an electrical generator. And Dad had taken a couple of wires and, and run them off each electrode of the generator. That was great-granddad. When granddad was a bad boy, great-granddad would put this generator on his lap, have granddad come over and hold the wires while great-granddad turned the crank and administered the punishment. Okay. That was passed on by great-granddad to granddad. Granddad passed it on to dad. Bad had passed it on to son, who is now stepdad. And, and stepdad's son is in the process of wanting to pass this on to stepson, who was really a behavior problem. Now, dad finished the story. Mom tuned back in, and she said, is that abuse? And my response was, no, that's not abuse. In South America, they call it torture. <laughs> now, Dad, I work with Dad for the rest of the hour, stepdad for the rest of the hour, getting him to see outside mm -hmm. of the context of his family that this, yes, in fact, could be considered very abusive. But it had been a norm for five generations wow. in his family. Now, we all have things like that, N not perhaps so dramatic, mm -hmm. but we all have these little kinky quirks about us that have been passed on that have never been questioned, never been thought about, and just accepted as face value. And, and here we are as parents now trying to pass the same thing on to our children when it's just as effective or ineffective as it was five generations ago. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's so true. We do pass on those things we've learned from our past, uh, our parents, our grandparents, and, and we don't realize they're, not, they're yeah. not working. Yeah, exactly. And it's, so it's like now that you're to that point and you're a parent, if you're listening, you have to decide, do I pass on those gifts that were given to me? Are they really good gifts to or pass on? Or do you want to break the chain yeah. and install something effective? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break real quick. We're going to come back, Dr. Franz, and come in to talk about the values within the family. Too many breaks. Too I many <laughs> breaks. We've been talking about parenting and families. That's just where the discussion went because that is one of the big issues we find in practicing is that it's about raising kids and how to get along. And, and you know, we're just all a bunch of grown-up teenagers anyways trying to get along, aren't we? No, <laughs> we throw fits once in a while, you know, no, and what, you know, going back to parenting, I think that's the funniest thing too, that I've seen Dr. Franz is, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say funny because, you know, there's parents driving out there, they'll, they'll find that. But one of the things I see is that sometimes I see the parents throw a bigger fit than their own children. <laughs> don't you see that? I, 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 yeah. 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 And, you know, sometimes I don't think it's a bad thing. No. But, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking... Anytime the parent gets worse than the kid, genuinely worse, the kid won. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm running down the hall and slamming my door again and, and sitting on my bed feeling very satisfied. I got a bigger rise out of you than you got out of me. Um, now, I, I, I do believe, and I've, I've used this as part of my, my own parenting technique for years, uh, once again, hearkening back to that background in theater and speech, if, if you want to throw 
a really well-orchestrated theatrical tantrum <laughs> uh, that's just going to shock, surprise, confuse, and overwhelm your child. It's a nice way to get back in control again. But th- there can't be anything about it that's genuinely emotional. The hook has got to be out of your gut. But uh, you know, if you want to get down to it and, and prove to your child who can be badder than who, and it's all theatrical, you'll probably get that kid's attention. Yeah, and, and that's a shock factor if yeah. you want to use it. And, and it does work if you use certain types of shock factors. Now, going into disciplinary or um, trying to get the child to comply, because I don't know if you notice this in the last 35 years practicing, parents and families are going to have compliant children and non-compliant. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's a law of nature, I've noticed. Yeah. There's kids that just are good kids nature, naturally, and there's kids that are going to challenge the boundaries constantly mm-hmm. and bump up against them. And our job as a parent and as a, as a provider is to teach to keep putting those boundaries in place. Consistently. Yeah. And that's, you see that failing as far as consistency is probably one of the biggest things parents have. A, I, I think consistency is the key. That, that we all have issues yes, with. Yes. It, it's hard to be consistent. And it's even harder to be consistent when you're challenged 35 times a day over <laughs> the same thing. And eventually their their whole goal is to wear you down so you say yes. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So this comes to where we do active ignoring or active listening where we ignore that type of bad behavior. Uh, you can do active listening if you're patient okay. enough for it. Um, you can do active ignoring. Which is good. <laughs> um, you, you can simply restate I don't know, once, twice, three times. I'm, I'm big on the number three. Yeah, I, I, okay. love, I love the number three. It's a magic number. And just reiterate what you said the first time. So t- uh, tell us more on the number three. Like if I was a parent listening, how does that work? Oh, God, I, I don't know. Um, and and this, is, this is kind of off topic, but mm-hmm. it, it, it does address the, the number three. Um, in, in ways that can be applied all over the place. It, it has been said, you take one person mm-hmm. and you put them in a room alone and they'll do all right. They'll, they'll find something to do and they'll occupy their time and they'll get along with themselves. You take a second person and put them in the room and it's not long before a pecking order is established where one will end up lording over the other. You take the third person and put them in the room, and this is when it gets, this is a deadly example of the number three. Two will eventually end up siding against one, but the two that side up against the one keeps changing. Uh. It keeps rotating through all three. So you've got this really crazy dynamic going on. Um, It's just a good thing to know. Anytime your kid is playing by himself, observe him. Anytime he's playing with one other friend, observe the dynamic that's going on. One is running the show over the other. And it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. Then you get three kids together and watch for who starts ganging up on who. It's always going to happen. So, for example, if you have mom and dad and the child... In those three individuals, somebody's gonna, it's going to change and somebody's going to gang up on somebody. It can do that, too. You've got two parents and one child. 
And once again, we're, we're getting back to the object. The goal of that child's behavior is to drive a wedge between the two parents. Yes. Now you're getting two siding against one. And that happens so frequently, too. All the time. Because I've watched where um, the mom either goes to the kid's side and tries to protect because she's the nurturer, and then the dad's the bad guy or vice versa. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen a lot where um, sometimes parents just need to be on the same page no matter what the outcome, if they're even wrong as parents. Mm -hmm. But they have to stick together. They have to stick together. Yeah, and it's kind of that whole... I call it the poker bluff. Even though you're wrong and you have a bad card and you know it, you, still you walk stick away together. and talk about it later. Then you talk about it. And, you know, this is something that I, I think parents are typically very shy about doing. Uh, something goes down. Mom and dad both agree in front of the kid. Okay, the kid's grounded. Uh and we can talk for a minute about grounding. Yeah, that's ne- a good never topic. make this ridiculously long. Uh, if you ground a kid for a week, what do you do if he screws up during that <laughs> week again? Ground him for another week? Yeah, I, I had a, a kid way back when in juvie. Uh, he had been grounded by his parents. <laughs> he, he was grounded for like two and a half years or wow, something. I bet. And it was just a joke. You know, the kid would sneak out of his bedroom window at night. His parents would discover he was gone. The parents would sit up and wait for him. When he came home, he wouldn't even sneak back so, in. So who is really grounded? Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he'd, he'd walk in the door and they that's it. You're grounded for another six months. Ooh. <laughs> oh, how are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, where was I going with this notion of, uh, oh, oh, the parents. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, even though they grounded the kid for a short time for whatever he'd done, they get together after the kid's gone, and one says to the other, hey, you know, I really think this was out of line. And the two of them discuss it, and they both end up agreeing that, all right, well, you know, maybe we did push this too far. And this is where parents seem to have a problem in going back to the kid and saying, hey, come on, it's powwow time again. You know what? Your mom and I discussed this, and uh, we both decided maybe, uh, maybe we came down too hard on you. So you're not grounded. Or, you know, maybe maybe we didn't believe you when we should have believed you. And so, But that's the thing is that a lot of them get into that whole paradox. Because that, that goes back to our passed on traditions of what you talked about earlier. Is that grandpa, grandma, or dad previous yeah. Yeah. passed on that whole grand, grounding notion. Because yeah. I never understood grounding either. Because it's, it's actually a term used for pilots. You're grounded. You, uh-huh. take, you get your... Exactly. Wings taken away, yeah. so it was their punishment. But then when when we started implementing in parenting, it's like, and I always gave this example to parents for. I'll you, bet some pilot dad I, coined I that term. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it because I mean it's a term that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of not. If I'm right, it's an oxymoron in a sense because you can't really ground. Something that doesn't fly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so the well, point... Well, that, that would be to imply that kids don't fly. Well, I might argue no, with yeah, you on that I can that argue point. with that. I got some kids that know how to fly, trust yeah. me. But, but it goes back to also, like, if you're driving a ship or a car or a bus, um, if you ground that child, who's really in control? You don't want to put them at the, at the front of the driving position. Exactly. Because then you're grounded as a parent. You back yourself into a corner. Exactly. And so I, I know, I don't know if you've, a lot of your clients, you see that they paint themselves into a corner as a parent, and they're the ones, oh, I grounded my ch- child for 30 days. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, great. How are you going to do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have fun. Enjoy the next 30 days of your life. Yeah, because we were all kids. I remember getting grounded. I'd sneak out the window, go yeah. push mom's car out of the driveway and drive down the road yeah. <laughs> as a teenager. And, you know, too, I mean, if you look at grounded philosophically as another way of, of giving a time out, mm-hmm. uh, you, you ground a kid or, or you give them a time out and, and it's, it's ridiculously long, a week, a month, six months, whatever it is. Um, what else are you going to do versus if you give a time out to a kid for five minutes or the kid is older, you ground them for the remainder of the day, half a day, maybe 24 hours. It gives the kid something to reach for, number one. He can do it. Number two, if he subsequently reoffends, you can always hit him. Do you know how many five-minute time blocks there are in a 16-waking-hour day? A lot. <laughs> it's like a Chinese water torture. <laughs> You can keep going back. Okay, you just got another five minutes. Stick your head out that door again, you're going to get another five. Hey, you're up to 15. Want to go for 20? Come on, let's go for 20. I'm pulling for you. And, and, the, and you know, parents don't get that it's like, and I use the analogy, it's like training an animal. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because I hate to use it, but sometimes. Matt, yeah. a year and a half ago, one of the most incredible creatures came into my life. Tell me. Pearl. Uh-oh. She is a two-year-old Basset Beagle, we call her a bagel. She was a six-month-old wild Indian when she came into our home. (laughs) I have, for the last year and a half, really, really paralleled to so many parents how much kid training is like dog training. It it is. And that is not meant to demean the dog (laughs) or the child. But the principles are very much the same. I think, you know, you referred to Caesar a while back. If you watch the dog whisperer, you're going to see him actually exhibiting, demonstrating, modeling training techniques that are going to work perfectly well on a child just as well as on a dog. I laugh every time I watch it. I'm like, that's total psychology. Ignore the bad behavior, engage, be assertive, be patient. Yeah. And be calm and assertive when you approach it. Because a lot of parents still go to their crazy zone, get crazy, and start yelling. And that's where the discipline or the five-minute five timeouts don't work. Because right. they come back lecturing, telling the kid what they did wrong. Where you have to have no emotions, know anything, and just let the five minutes happen. It becomes happen rational. Yeah. 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 And you, you can't rationalize with a, a kid. Because they're not adults. They don't rationalize at that no, point. No, they don't think like us. No. Their brains are not fully developed. They don't put it together. But what, what in your practice, why do you think parents go there? Why do they think they get in their head that they can rationalize or talk them into it? I, I think parents tend to make the mistake of believing that they're dealing with a fully developed human being when they're dealing with their child. And if any one of you out there wants to look into this, uh, there's a man who spent his life ju- just doing this one thing. He's identified the stages that we go through of cortical development as a child into adulthood. Oh. And I, I, I'm vague on this. I think maybe there's a half a dozen or so. Mm-hmm. And the fact of it is that at any particular time in a child's development, cortical development, they are only mentally capable of doing some very specific things. The guy's name is Jean-Claude Piaget, P-I-A-G-E-T. Yeah. 
he spent his lifetime just identifying like these six stages of, of, of cortical development in children. And he's very, very specific about the kinds of operations that any child in any stage is capable of doing. And the biggest one is the notion of reciprocity. I give to you, you give back to me. That does not really start to develop in a child until somewhere in, the, in their mid-late teens. So we, we, we have these notion, uh, this notion about younger children being altruistic and wanting to give, and they're not even cortically ready for that. No. They, they're, they are self-driven, and that's yeah. where a lot of parents think, well, how, why aren't they unselfish? Yeah. They haven't learned that. That's their whole thing is as a parent, you're teaching them, modeling them. Because what you model is what they're going to learn. And a lot of parents don't get that. If if I'm a selfish parent, I, I leave my kids home at night, I go do whatever I want, and then I come home, what are you that's, teaching them? That's just going to feed their selfishness. Yeah. yeah, you're teaching them the same thing. And also, to get back into cortical development uh-huh. for just a moment here, there is also the notion of cognitive egocentrism. Oh, yeah. oh, that's a fun one. All kids are cognitively egocentric. And all that means is the world revolves around around me. me. (laughs) And I have the four F's when I talk about teenagers, friends, fun, fun, freedom, and food. Okay. That's that's how they talk about (laughs) it. That's good. Yeah. And and that's totally how a kid thinks. They want friends, fun, freedom, and food, and they don't care about anything. What do you mean I have to do chores? You have to give this to me as a parent. Yeah. And they, yeah. they're that entitlement. They mentality. develop that sense of entitlement. Yeah, right. It's huge. Yeah. We're going to take the last break and okay. then uh, we're going to come back and I'm going to let you finish off telling the parents what you think they need. We're talking about parenting, Dr. Franz, and we're going to end the show here. We got a few more minutes left and we want to know what advice do you have for parents? We were talking a little earlier about. I remember you teaching in one of the trainings because you work with us over at uh, Compass Behavioral Health, Mm -hmm. which is a Medicaid provider here locally, right? Right. And we um, help, uh, just so people listening understand that, we help kids that are less fortunate that are either in a bad dire or foster kids that are, they have Medicaid, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. And we help them in all sorts of behavioral issues. And so if you ever want to come over and, and Meet Dr. Franz, and if you do have your children that have Medicaid, and it has to be full coverage Medicaid, is that right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. and, and or um, fee-for-service is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get all sorts of providers that are with us. Oh. For the last two minutes we have, um, or about a minute and a half, what is some advice you want to leave for the parents? Oh, my Lord. Okay, i got two minutes to cover the subject yep. of why. Well, about a minute. Um, you know, Freud started with why and his analysis, and, and, and Dr. Spock let this leak into child behavior uh, in the 1950s that we have to give lengthy explanations. There's always a reason for something, and we must find the reason. No, quit wasting your time. Take that ugly three-letter word, throw it out of your vocabulary, never use it again. Why is not the issue here. If you really want to deal with something, deal with the what. What is my child doing? What do I need to do? Is it acceptable to me? Never why. Uh, Karkoff gave us this very quickly. Who, what, when, where, and how. Who, what, when, where, and how. He called it 5WH. I don't know why he called it that because it's actually 4WH. Who, what, when, where, and how. But these are the questions that you want to answer. Never why. Why is a waste of time. And that's the gift that I have to give to this valley today. If I can get that word out, I've done my job here today. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Franz. 
Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember, guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.